This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. your sporting life with Peter Donegan. It is great to have you along for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives and today we celebrate the life of a man who made his mark in football three times. He was a premiership player, a dual All-Australian and they are just some of the achievements of my guest this morning, Chris Johnson. Jono, welcome. Thanks, Pete. Good to be here. Uh, Looking forward to it. It's uh, something I haven't done before, spending a bit of time talking about myself. Some people would probably object to that. No, uh... definitely not. Uh, We're going to put you under the blowtorch, so look out for the next hour or so. How are you keeping? You're looking well? Yeah, no, everything's well. Uh, You know, uh, trying to juggle uh, a a family of six and, uh, you know, keeping busy with uh, work and uh, trying to keep fit at some sort of uh, stage as well. Every time I drive past the McDonald's, I've seen to gain a couple of kilos here or there. (laughs) So uh, just got to be mindful of that, Pete. But uh, I couldn't complain much. Uh, Life's pretty well and uh, enjoying it at the moment. How old are the six? Uh, So we've got Lachlan. uh, So obviously there's me and my wife. That's what I mean by the six. There's there's six of us. Uh, I was going to say, you uh, need to buy television. Yeah, yeah, we we, we certainly do. (laughs) Uh, We've got four kids. Uh, So Lachlan, which is the oldest, he's 15. Uh, Then we have Preston, which is 13. uh, Aiden, which is twelve, and Charlie, she has just uh, turned ten, uh, which which is great. And uh, you know they're all playing football, all enjoying life, and uh, all going to school as well. Uh, schooling's going good with them all, uh, so it's it's enjoyable. Showing some signs of talent. Have they inherited any of the old man's talent at footy? Oh, it's a bit, probably a bit early just yet. Uh, pretty lucky enough, uh, Lachlan has got a scholarship to Scotch College and uh, down there with Rob Smith has uh, been able to bring him under his wing and playing down there. So he's showing a little bit from time to time. Uh, the other three are probably just a little bit too young at the moment. They're just enjoying their football. Uh, I was... Uh, only just last month, I had to uh, cut Lachlan from my Metro squad. So, oh, uh, oh no. so that wasn't. How wasn't did that the most, go over? Yeah, it wasn't the most popular person in the house for <laughs> for only an hour or so. But we we got through it, and uh, I think uh, in the long run, he's going to be better for it. Builds a little bit of resilience for him, and uh, look, uh, he's he's. He's got a mature head on his uh, on his shoulders, so he, he's taken it on board and, and worked on some of the things that uh, some of the feedback that the coaches have given him. On a serious note, is that a, a really difficult thing to do? I mean, it's always difficult, regardless of who it is. But when it's your own flesh and blood, does that make it more difficult for you? Uh, yeah, it is a little bit, Peter. Uh, I think uh, you know you've got to be professional in in the sort of uh, in the workplace that I in the work that I do with coaching. Uh, I knew Lachlan was going to come through there at some stage. I coached him at the Colder Cannons at the under six as well and and I was me and him were very professional there as well and probably him and I don't 
really interact much there at, at the club, but it was more that I gave a responsibility to another coach to give his feedback rather than coming from me. If it, if it had to be done, it, it, uh, I, I certainly went through and gave him the feedback. But, yeah, certainly difficult at very, very different times. But I think it just builds better for our relationship. Uh, you know, he probably sees me as a father figure at home and being the father. But then when we're at uh, football, he sort of then takes me on as a coach. So mm. uh, sometimes he, he won't call me by Chris or anything like that. He just calls me coach yeah. uh, so we've got that understanding which is good and I think it's going to build a better relationship for him and I and uh, look it's uh, it's good to uh, and he comes to me for advice as well so at various times I, I give it and sometimes I go and tell him to go get a second and third opinion about it and uh, see what you come up with. Last weekend I called Darcy Moore and I've called him a bit this week and when I look at him I see some traits of his father and just the way he carries himself sometimes. Can you see those traits in your son? Yeah, I can. Um, I, I see uh, I see little bits and pieces. Uh, certainly his, his offensive game is, is really, really good. Uh, not as He's probably a bit more mature than what I was, uh, you know, when, what he is now when he's 15. Uh, but certainly his defensive stuff, I really see a lot of that, the way he can defend, the way he can tackle. Um, he probably runs a little bit more than me uh, than what I used to, but he's probably got a little bit more of a tank. Uh, but yeah, there, there's certain things that you see the way he kicks, the way he handles, the way he moves. It's the same thing when he when he talks, and that sometimes my wife thinks that she's talking to me at, at different times. But yeah, you see some little bits and pieces uh, come out in just their natural play. Yeah, I suppose it's just something that's going to evolve. When I close my eyes, when Joe Watson is talking. It sounds like Tim's talking. Yeah, it, it's spot on. It's spot on. It's, it's exactly like uh, he, he's got all the same sort of traits and, and so are the other younger two and, and my daughter as well. So, uh, look, I hope that, uh, you know, he's going to – he's got a great opportunity at, at Scotch College at the moment as a, uh, you know, with a scholarship there. Uh, he's talking uh, – him and I really have conversations about – studies and how he's going I wasn't uh, I wasn't the most uh, you know scholar at school and uh, I realized that at an early age and, and went on and done a painting apprenticeship but but he now he's got a great opportunity and you know no, no one through our family has been to uh, a school of that quality uh, so he gets the opportunity to go there get some really good education behind him and and become a strong leader within his community and, and within his family I think take us all the way back to when Chris Johnson was a kid in the northern suburbs I think it was Jakarta wasn't it yeah yeah Still, uh, still down there, Pete. Uh, have a little run around uh, on the weekend. So, uh, yeah, back in uh, Broad Meadows, which is uh, Jakarta's just a, another little suburb of who I played for, but lived in West Meadows. So, um, you know, it was uh, it was somewhere where you, you know had to be able to look after yourself. Yeah, you did. You did at various times, but uh, mum and dad kept us very secure. We lived in a we lived in a court there. We had we had uh, you know a lot of families in that court, uh, but uh, it was great times. Uh, we really enjoyed our, our time there. Uh, the people at Jakarta Football Club welcomed my father in uh, who moved away uh, from his family at, at sort of, you know, not a young age, but uh, when when they when my sister was first born from Preston over the Broadmeadows to, to start his own family. Uh, the Jakarta Football Club really opened their arms to my father and he was the only Indigenous player that had played there. Um, so that that was, and, and that's what... That's what it was. It was always about the football club. It was about you know every every Saturday and every Sunday about going down to the football club and look. It was uh, it was great times and uh, still live in the area, Pete. So we yeah. end up we end up moving back. Uh, my wife and I 
when we came back from Brisbane as well. So um, we've just got a little little spot there, and uh, it's nice and convenient. We're we're close to uh, our, our, our my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and close to my father at the same time. When we talk about people of Indigenous heritage, Jono, especially in a football sense, we hear people saying, oh, times were different back then, and quite often they're ashamed of some of the things yep. that were said and done. As a, a young man growing up with Indigenous heritage, did you see some things that you still remember to this day that scarred you at the time? Oh, certainly, Peter. You know, we, we speak about the, the sort of area where I came from and it's it's got a, a, a big ethnic background. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of Turkish, a lot of Lebanese. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of different cultures there and, you know, not just only myself but others as well. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends that I went to school with were Turkish, were Lebanese, were these types of people, were Maltese, were, were Italian. Um, there were times on the football field, you know, at a, at a very young age of 13, 14, getting called different type of names and, and it was accepted. It was okay. And it was okay for, a, you know, for a parent to, to yell out a, a certain thing to, to myself uh, uh, or to another another teammate that uh, was in, wasn't, uh, you know, a minority. Uh, it was it was tough times. Uh, you didn't know how to handle it. Uh, the only way I knew how to handle it is is get angry and get uh, physical and, and, and that got me in trouble. I'd either get sent off or or I'd been dragged from the coach. So those times there, and I, and I heard it from my father as well, going to watch him play football and people yelling certain things at him as well. So they, they, they did scare you. And uh, I guess moving on through my, my sort of teens, once you heard the sort of racism towards you, you only knew one way to deal with it. So how did you change that, Jono? Because if that's the way that you originally deal with something, that is the way in your mind that is the best way to deal with it. How did you change from that? Because you had to, to get to where you did in football. Well, it really came down to my father, Pete. Uh, my dad said, you can keep doing what you're doing at the moment. Uh, you can keep getting sent off the ground. You can keep doing this, but you need you need to be able to nip that in the bud. And the only reason he used to tell me why I was getting to call these names is because I was playing good footy. Mm. And and that, that, that always stuck in the back of my mind. And I thought, okay, let them do that. If they, if they want to lower themselves to do that, let them do that. But I can control myself. And that's what my father always told me. Don't get angry, get even. And uh, and getting even was about trying to play football at the best level. And then obviously you went into the AFL. Um, I can't say uh, I heard or anything happened to me, uh, directly at me from another player uh, or from over the crowd. I thought that was that was really, really, you know, uh, nipped in the bud by the time I started playing. But we do know that, you know, the Michael Long, the Nicky Winmay, we all know about that. Um, and and that, that was sort of, you know, to me, people probably didn't, identify me as an Indigenous person because I'm not as dark, because I'm not uh, from the Northern Territory and those sorts of things. So uh, becoming at the elite level, I didn't experience it at all. But it was more back at a community level where I was playing local football where I experienced the most beat and I had to change things. And to my, to my father's credit, he got me at the right time at around that 13, 14 years of age and then I was able to progress and keep playing good football instead of sitting on the bench. Thankfully, we are at the stage now where things have changed. What did you make, though, of the Adam Goods situation over the past couple of years? Look, Adam's a great friend of mine. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of time, and for the amount of work that he does off the field, I don't think uh, you know. I don't think he gets uh, enough credit for that. Uh, the amount of time that he puts aside to help not just Indigenous kids, he helps non-Indigenous kids at the same time, and non-Indigenous causes. I thought it was 
blatant racism. I thought it was blatant uh, that people could were just getting into him. People just didn't like him for who he was. I just I didn't like it. I, I hated watching a Swans game or I hated being a part of a commentary team at a Swans game as well and just hearing the disrespect uh, of that booing uh, towards Adam. I felt for him a lot because I know what he's gone through. I've known Adam for a long time and I still we still catch up at various times now and and uh, look it's really really scarred him uh, as 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 a, as a as a man as an, an indigenous person but i think it's scarred his family as well and you know for someone that has done so much and so much for our game and so much for people uh, young people um, to be treated like that i think was just a, 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 an indictment on the people that follow our game Pete, because i think we're bigger and better than that if uh, if someone comes out and he says he says he doesn't like it and he, and he feels that it is towards his race not so much him as an individual i think we've got we've got to we got to, our ears have got to prick up and understand that and, and move on and probably just nip it in the bud and, and not do it. If someone doesn't like it, if someone feels it, if he feels it's racist, it's racist. Uh, it doesn't matter what you say uh, and how you go about it. Uh, you know, it's uh, it was very disappointing for me, Peter. It was probably a low light of, uh, of AFL football that I've ever experienced. There were so many highlights, and we're going to talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. Chris Johnson is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. And Chris Johnson, the three-time Premiership player and dual All-Australian and indeed captain of his country in the international rules, which is something that we'll touch on a little bit later on. Whether you like it or not, we're going to talk <laughs> about that, Jono. Uh, the journey begins uh, from an early age. We've spoken about that. You play in the Northern Knights. You play in a Premiership side in the Northern Knights. You kick seven goals and you couldn't even get best on ground. Yeah, it was pretty hard that day, Pete. Uh, myself and a uh, good team of mine, Shannon Gibson, uh, teammate of mine, uh, he'd kick ten and uh, I'd kick seven. So we uh, we had a, we had a good day out. Uh, we played against the Western Jets, uh, which uh, had hadn't been beaten all year, and we come up to them in the grand final. And uh, I think to this day, I think uh, our score that we kicked that day is the highest score ever to be kicked on grand final day. It was it was a bit of a shootout. Um, I think we kicked 30, 33 something goals. 33-32, I think it may have been, and and the Jets kicked eighteen twenty or something. So it was a bit of a shootout. Uh, there wasn't too much defence going no, it on. It doesn't so sound that, like it. No, no but uh, no, did, it was a, did you have the usual punch up? Because there always used to be a punch up <laughs> in the underage grade five. No, I think I think uh, the Knights and the Jets were were, were were you know didn't have any grudges against each other. I think uh, not that I can remember. I think it was just football uh, yeah. played from start to go. Maybe that was back in the old days. Yeah. I called a couple of under-19s grand finals yeah. and you could just set your watch by the fact that in the first five minutes of the game, it'd be so a blue. was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it was pretty, uh, pretty uh, fair game and uh, we stuck, stayed clear of that. So after that, you've shown your wares on a big stage, um, played very well in a grand final. You go into the draft. Did you always think you were going to finish up at Fitzroy or were there other clubs involved as well? Well, yes, Pete. There was a number of clubs involved uh, and the two clubs uh, that were really uh, interested in me were Sydney Swans and the Brisbane Bears. Um, I think the Swans had number one draft, uh, the number one pick that year and uh, I had met with, there was only two clubs that I didn't meet with uh, leading into the draft and that was Fitzroy and Collingwood. Uh, and uh, everyone thought that uh, I was probably going to go pretty early in the draft. I didn't think so. I didn't know how big it was, Pete. I just I was just playing football and, and didn't know too much what was going on. Uh, I knew you had to get drafted to play AFL football, but I didn't know I was going to go, you know, in that low sort of uh, – in that top ten anyway. 
And uh, it was interesting enough that uh, we had uh, the Swans come over and we had the Bears come over and uh, they were trying to convince me to go up north. And uh, I, I consistently said, no, if you pick me, I'm not coming. It's going to be a waste of a pick for you. So they done the smart choice and uh, they didn't select me. And uh, I wanted to stay home, wanted to stay within the family. And then, you know, within the three years of AFL football, I ended up in Brisbane, uh, in in the, in the merge, but uh, look, the draft time was was exciting, and I remember I didn't know what was really happening, Pete. It was uh, it was quite interesting because I was doing a bit of work experience at Northern Knights with Ian Flack, and uh, Ian Ian had told me we're, we're we're going to the draft, and I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well, you need to come to the draft. They think you might go in that sort of bracket of probably top twenty, top 10. I Said, "Okay, no worries." So. Ian come pick me up. Mum and dad couldn't make it. Mum and dad had to work. So Ian come and pick me up, took me there. And, uh, you know, I was just sitting there. It was all a bit of a blur. And all of a sudden Fitzroy came up with a pick and they had picked six and seven and they called Trent Cummings out at number six. And then they called my name at number seven. And I was like, well, I'm going to Fitzroy. I didn't know a whole lot about Fitzroy. I knew uh, a little bit about him. My uncle had supported them. So did my grandmother. Uh, I knew what the colours were about, but uh, I knew there were some great players there at the same time. So... It was interesting times. I was uh, I was uh, amazed, and uh, I was looking forward to getting getting stuck into it. It was good. The great football club that they were, they were in a very difficult period, uh, and the club was basically in its death throes. And you must have been able to see that almost every day you turned up there in the in the later days. Yeah, well, when I first got there, it was I thought, yeah, this is this is a good place, and uh, the club looks great. So we're at Lakeside Oval then, uh, but continuously, uh, you know, from from sort of pre-season that there was always uh, the question mark, is Fitzroy going to survive another year? Is there going to be a white knight? Is there someone going to come and save the club again? And and that happened for three years, Pete. As a, as a young boy, uh, 17 years old, drafted um, in 93, coming to pre-season training in 93 uh, through that sort of November, December period, cameras always being there. And that, that was just the start of my career. And that just didn't stop. You know, then we moved to Coburg City Oval, where the rent was probably a little bit cheaper. Uh, we went over there in various times that the the the, the ruins were still padlocked. We hadn't paid the rent. We had to go and find another venue to train. It was a park, or it was somewhere else, or, or it was just we went and hired a basketball court and we just done work inside. It was very very difficult, not knowing your future and what was going on. And the consistent question was, is Fitzroy going to survive? And it was nothing about the future of Fitzroy. And, and uh, you know, and then in '96, I think it was round, I think it was four or 15 or maybe 16, uh, the merge got announced. And for a young boy uh, coming through the uh, the system, I thought this isn't supposed to be AFL football. Isn't, isn't it supposed to be glamorous and supposed to be, you know, best training venues and these type of things? And look, the Coburg venues uh, was, was okay, but, you know, it was only VFL standard and we're playing a national competition. And, and the uh, look, it was it was what we got dealt and we had to deal with it and we didn't have too many wins. We were on the end of a lot of a lot of hidings at various times. But uh, my first game, the, the the things that I love about Fitzroy, the people that I the people that I met there, uh, my first game, the wins. I was quite lucky enough to play. Uh, you know, in in '94, uh, my first game against Essendon Footy Club uh, after they come off the '93 Premiership. Uh, Gavin Wingenine had come off of Brownlow as well. Uh, massive crowd at uh, Princess Park, jam packed. Essendon versus Fitzroy. And we're able to get up by you know a couple of goals, so that that's a great memory of mine. And look, the uh, you know things could have been done better, I think, with the merge uh, in terms of trying to um, keep some of the Fitzroy people. I know there's a lot of sour Fitzroy 
uh, ex-supporters out there that don't follow football at all, but uh, a few have come over, and uh, you know, it's just it was it just wasn't nice, and it was it was sad for everyone. Well, if some of the supporters were reluctant when the merge happened, they weren't the only ones because some of the players were reluctant, and you were one of them too. You had your misgivings about being one of the players selected to go up there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. There was times where I was I wasn't too sure about whether we should be going up there, uh, but once we got up there, we got stuck into it. Uh, you know, for the first uh, half of the year, but then myself and a few others, we we asked for trades uh, pretty much at the end of the year of the uh, of the ninety uh, what was it ninety seven year, and and some of us did go, and some of us stayed and it was tough times it was because I think the challenge the thing was it is that eight new blokes were coming into a side where a group had already been formed and a group had already had some success I think they played in uh, uh, the Bears that year in 93 uh, sorry in 96 had actually played in a prelim final against Carlton at the MCG and 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 that side was pretty cemented and you know then you've got eight new blokes coming in to make the side better and, and and I think some of those Bears players had every right to sort of be upset with us. Well, not upset with us, but upset with the it was what what had transpired. That we were going to take people's positions, and p- positions mean that contracts they don't get paid. They've got families to feed. They've got repayments to make, and it's fair enough to think that way. And uh, they, so it, it was it, us and them. Yeah, there were was, two camps. It was a little bit for a while. Yeah, it was a little bit for a while uh, in the first uh, probably three or four months. Um, you know, pre-season. But I think through through that there was a th- things nutted out, and I think we got through that. And by the end of that year of that uh, '97 year, we got through the end of it, and we were just playing football, and we we're a club again. And obviously, we had to build new relationships, the eight players. But it was like eight new draftees coming in, but we will, the eight players who were coming in were cemented players in the, in our senior in our senior time at senior team at Fitzroy. So that was a bit of a challenge for them. And, and there were different times that uh, it was just uh, wasn't working and there were times it did work. I guess in the short term, you could never see that you were going to be part of one of the greatest teams ever to play. But did you see success coming just around the corner? I, I seen that was a, there was a lot of talented footballers there, and, and in my first my first couple of years, I think I was in and out uh, a number of times. I only strung, I think, uh, under John Northey, I only strung probably eighteen games together over the over the two years. So I did see there was a bit of talent there. There was no doubt about that. But I didn't see that we we're going to uh, do what we did, Pete. And uh, it was quite amazing to be a part of. But you never seen that coming. You you know you looked at a guy like Michael Voss, and he trained as hard as anyone else. And you try to compare yourself with him, and you just couldn't do it uh, because he was that that elite in a lot of different areas, running, uh, you know, in the conditioning, uh, in the gym, uh, and other bits and pieces as well. So you never seen that success coming, but. Uh, you know, I ask, I, I, I always say this, and and, and I'm very uh, public about it. That I, I've got a lot to thank to uh, to uh, Scott Clayton. Uh, he was a, he was the list management at, manager at the time, and when I asked for the trade, he told me yes. Chris, we're going to trade you. So I came down and met with a number of clubs, a number of Victorian clubs, and uh, thought, "Yep, I'm coming back home, which is great. It's going to it's going to be sensational. Get back to the family because I, I was homesick as well at the same time." And then when we got to the trading table, Brisbane Bears, uh, the Brisbane Lions. Uh, uh, Clates had said, uh, Scott had said, no, he's not up for trade. So he kept me there. So I've got, every time I see uh, see Scotty, I say, thanks very much, mate. Yeah, he and Jacinta, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. obviously you need to buy him a beer yeah, every now yeah, and then. Yes, exactly. We'll talk about that great era when we come back on the other side of the break. As I said, one of the great teams of all time in our game. Chris Johnson was part of it and he is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. Yeah! 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a pleasure it is to have Chris Johnson as my guest on this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. John, let's fast forward. 2001. You're on the big stage. What did a little boy from Jakarta think when you ran out on the ground on grand final day at the MCG? I thought, well, this is my dream. This is I'm finally here. Uh, to be honest, through through my early part of the career, it was always the dream to play in a premiership, uh, but it was never a realistic dream. Uh, a number of times, uh, play, especially playing at Fitzroy, uh, was involved in wooden spoons. Uh, was involved in three wooden spoons, in fact. Uh, two at Fitzroy and then one at the uh, one up in Brisbane as well. So uh, getting there on that day was just an amazing feeling. And uh, I think if you if you look at the vision, uh, it was great that uh, that year uh, we'd, uh, we'd brought another Fitzroy player over in Martin Pike and him and I were the last ones to run out the banner there and uh, two ex-Fitzroy players going out together, being there. Who would have thought, you know, in 96, we're both together and and I I got picked up in the eight and uh, he went on and, and went on and played in the premiership at North Melbourne and then, and then came to us. So I never thought the day would come uh, and I thought, uh, well, if I'm here, I'm going to give it me all and I'm going to try and do my best and, and make my family, make everyone else proud because it's it's a long journey to get there on one day and I was quite lucky enough to get there on four days. It was a comfortable enough margin. Uh, I've spoken to players over the years when they're involved in a comfortable margin in the grand final who say that they have time to smell the roses in the last 10 minutes or so of the grand final. Did you just look around and do that? Uh, not not really. I, I, I probably thought uh, I still had a job to do and, and still had to get done, but... Um, there were times where I thought, I think Scotty Lucas had kicked a couple of late goals and so had Matty Lloyd as well. So they brought that margin in a little bit more closer. Uh, but no, I didn't have that time and I didn't think like that. Uh, I, I thought uh, that, you know, Lee always spoke about minutes and goals and it's it's folklore now yeah. that, he, that he always talks about that. And, and I was I was trying to concentrate in the game and trying to do the, the math as well and I just couldn't do it. So I just worried about the game and, and just stuck to it and uh, and thought there'd be a lot more time to to smell the roses rather than uh, do that out in the MCG. There are two ways of looking at achieving the ultimate success in sport. One is that it's the end of a journey, that you've achieved what you wanted to do. The other way of looking at it is that it's the start of another journey and the start of a dynasty. And that was obviously something that the Brisbane Lions did because of what was to follow after 2001. It was. Uh, you know, Lee Lee made things very, very simple to us Uh you know, uh, in terms of, you know, how you go about it and what we need to do uh, to, to get the next win. And straight away, like, after winning the premiership, I thought, oh, yeah, it's going to be Patness on the back. He's going to be, you know, really – and he was at, at, at various times. But then on the Monday when we had our uh, all of our exit interviews or, or our last final thing, he was talking about the next season. I was like, can we just enjoy this moment a little bit more? And, uh, look, it was it was, it was good. Uh, to go back and just sit and reflect for a little while. But really, he really steered us and, and made us focus on what we needed to do at hand. And he, he spoke to us on that on that exit interview about what you need to do in this next three or four, uh, next three or four weeks to get yourself in the best possible shape to come back. Because teams had already had a jump on us uh, because we'd gone all the way in. They'd start early than us, uh, would have a late start. Uh, so... It was a bit bit of time that you thought, hang on, we can just relax and enjoy this, can't we? But but Lee steered us and, and told us that we needed to be ready to go to go again and there's no reason why we can't. 
and Collingwood was the victim in 2002 and 2003. And, of course, Acker's famous goal at the end of 2002, which broke a few Collingwood hearts, yep. mine included. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, 2003. I always remember 2003 because my better half was moving down from Sydney and she picked a day to go out to or to come in, uh, which was the day after the grand final. And the gate lounge where she came in was next door to the gate lounge where you were leaving oh, really? the day after the grand final. And every single Brisbane player came up and said, gee, thanks, Pete, for coming out and sending us off. <laughs> <laughs> Including Pikey, who had celebrated well the previous <laughs> night, as he usually did. He, he, he did, he did. But, uh, yeah, no, that's a bit of bad luck for you, mate, to <laughs> be there on that day. But, but it was, it was the, the, the amount of uh, support that we had, uh, especially through the Essendon, the Essendon uh, uh, 01, 02 and 03, the amount of people that got behind us. Um, I think what it was, it was it was people that got behind us that probably didn't want Essendon or Collingwood to win. So the mutual supporters sort yeah. of weighed towards more of a, of a interstate club rather than going for the, for the, you know, one of the big three clubs down here in Essendon, Collingwood and Carlton. So we had a lot of, uh, I guess, just AFL lovers uh, following us as well. But certainly at the airport, it was amazing to see so many people out there when we're leaving and even especially when we arrived in Brisbane at the same time. Yeah, I wish there had been one less seeing you <laughs> off, but anyway. Uh, do you reckon the AFL scheduling department cost you a fourth premiership? Oh, there's no doubt it uh, made it difficult for us to back up and get some of our players to be 100% fit uh, to go out and play against Port Adelaide in 04. Uh, if uh, if we're in the if we're in the current climate now, uh, if we could have, uh, if we should have had a home final, but we had to come back down here, we would have been probably in with a bit more of a chance. Not taking anything away from Port Adelaide. They were great on the day. They bet us on the day. They had some outstanding individual performances that day. Um, but certainly it would have made it a lot more easier for us to back up, uh, you know, and play. And, uh, you know, we had two big collisions uh, that night against Geelong. I think it was Sean Hart, Daniel Bradshaw, and, and, and even uh, Brownie, I think, on that night as well. Uh, they had suffered injuries uh, that they had five days, uh, sort of five and five and a bit days to get up for a grand final with, with two travels in place. So, uh, look, I think it had a factor. Um, and I think that, you know, if if we were to produce what we have now, uh, the structure that's in place now, I think quite easily we would have probably been there until the end. And I think I think by sort of halfway through the third quarter, I think it was there that Port Adelaide were overrunning us, uh, probably a little bit old, a bit slow as well, people are saying, but mm. certainly not having Sean Hart out there, you're not having, uh, you know, other guys out there that were certainly be able to contribute towards the game. Uh, you know, Brownie not being at full fitness and a few other guys not being at full fitness at the same time. We did play a lot, and, and no one goes out and plays at 100%, Pete, and no doubt Port Adelaide would have had their injuries as well, but that extra day recovery would have been just nice to know going into that uh, into that grand final in 04. Subsequent to that, John, there were plenty of highlights. You became a co-captain of the club. But how difficult was it to be motivated when you've not only tasted the air at the top of the mountain, but you've done it on multiple occasions? Was it tough to to motivate yourself to try and get there again? No, it wasn't. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, every pre-season, I wanted to improve myself. Uh, our teammates wanted to improve each other. Uh, we kept trying and trying and trying. And I think I think we were probably a bit, a bit of 
ourselves the blame. Uh, you know, we tried to keep everyone together uh, through that period uh, from o, from 01 right through to 04 and 05. And, and that's probably why we lulled a little bit in that uh, 05, 06, 07 period is we tried to hang on to everyone and, and uh, we didn't trade a lot and we didn't draft uh, very well either. Um, so that's probably a little bit of fault of our own of trying to be uh, one of the greatest teams to, to ever play. So... Um, but motivating, I was always motivated to play AFL football. I was always motivated to go training. I was always motivated to put the Brisbane Lions jumper on and go out there and try the best possible. Um, but yeah, you, you could probably question that. You know, what do you do when you've been to the to the well so many times, and you know, how do you get motivated to do it again? I think it's just the passion of football. I still love football to this day. I love going to to work with yourself, Pete, at various yeah. different times. Uh, going to watch AFL games of football. I'd, I'd give my left leg, I'd give anything to be able to go back out there and be able to do uh, and play football again at the highest level, playing at the MCG, whether it's playing at the Gabba, where it's playing at uh, Footy Park, uh, wherever, it, wherever it may be, I'd do anything to get back out there. Last weekend, I saw a kick after the siren that drew a game. There's one particular kick that I always remember of yours up at the Gabba one night when there was a siren involved. Really? Yeah, didn't you didn't you kick a winning goal? No, no, at one no, stage, no, or did no. you have a kick after the siren? No, never had a kick after the siren. No, okay, no, no. Well, I might do that again then. <laughs> no, that was Ash. Oh, right. Yes. Okay, I buggered that up. So we'll cut that bit out. Bloody hell. That's all right. All right, um, John. from the club uh, standpoint, uh, so many wonderful moments. And as I mentioned, you did manage to captain. Australia, you captained your nation in the International Rules Series. I did, and, uh, you know, representing the, the, the country was fantastic. I enjoyed every time I went out there. Um, I really probably, when I first represented Australia, then I started to work out, I, you know, winning the first premiership, Pete, I, I sort of thought, do, do I, I, don't, I don't think I belong here. I don't, I don't know whether, is this supposed to be it? And then when I went to my first uh, travel to Ireland, uh, to at Ireland in my first international rules game, um, uh, it was, I, I was just blown away and I thought, geez, I was looking around and, you know, there was some great company around me and, uh, you know, we had, we had, we had uh, a young Josh, uh, had a young uh, Daniel Kerr there as well and uh, you know we had Chris Judd there at the same time all all in their first year and and you looked away you had Treadray you had you had all these guns around and I just wasn't sure if I if I was supposed to be there and then then uh, you know represented it for the second time and and all of a sudden uh, Gary Lyon come to me and said well mate we're going to announce you you're going to be vice captain captain the to Shane Crawford and I said really uh, you know I was quite surprised by that and then later on I then played with uh, Andrew McLeod and Andrew and I became co captains together and uh, I was quite blessed and quite uh, privileged to represent my country and being a captain at the same time so I was shocked I, I didn't think I was that type of person to be able to did people hold me in that stead uh, and it was uh, it was quite humbling actually I've never thought of you as someone who had white line fever but maybe I had to change my way of thinking <laughs> and a few people did on one particular occasion in the international rural series yeah, Pete. Uh, you know, not not a not a great memory that I like to look back on. Um, you know, if you if you, if I had a choice to take one thing back in my life, it'd be certainly that thirty seconds or so. Uh, you know, a lot of people like to joke about it, but in 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 real serious terms, it was probably the most uh, uh, poorly behaved I've done on a football field, and I'm, I'm not proud of it. Uh, there was a bit of niggling going on that night at, at, in the game. There's a bit of frustration in that as well. Um, I wasn't. 
getting so much of the ball. Uh, I was getting uh, taken on and off the ground. So a lot of frustration in myself, a lot of frustration that we weren't uh, in a winning position at that time. And and uh, look, it was, uh, it was a terrible act, uh, what had happened that night. And it's something that uh, I wish I could uh, take back. But unfortunately, I can't. It's been done. And I dealt with the consequences that had, had came with that. I was suspended for uh, for three or four series, I think it was. So pretty much seeing me out as, you know, as I was getting older and older, it's pretty much seeing me out for the rest of my life to be able to represent the country again. But certainly uh, walking away from, from that night, I was, I, was, I was really, really embarrassed of my actions that night. I think we'll leave it at that because yep. we want to talk about the positives and there have been so many of them. So we'll take a break and we'll come back with our final segment on This Is Your Sporting Life with Chris Johnson for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives and serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Our final segment with Chris Johnson on This Is Your Sporting Life, August 2007. Uh, we've spoken a lot about, in recent days, players coming to the end and knowing when the time was right. Did you know the time was right for you? Um, not really, Pete. I, I probably I thought I could have gone another year. Um, but talking, uh, you know, managers talk and... Uh, and uh, you try to get a, a, another contract, and and uh, we'd spoken uh, to my management company, and and they had spoken to the club, and and uh, as the year went along, there was nothing coming back. So I started thinking I'm, I might be at the end, and then there was one day that um, that I got uh, asked to meet Lee in his office and have a chat to him. Um, I probably was hanging on uh, in my last couple of years. I was only able to string, say, f- I think it was 14 to 12 games together, just injury after injury, just couldn't get my body right. Uh, and then I, want- I wanted to go on. But uh, having a, 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 a hard conversation with Lee, I guess that's what Lee's job was. Him and I had a really difficult conversation. He wanted, he, he thought that, um, you know, it was probably time. Um, I, I didn't think it was time. Um, and then I went away for about 24 hours, had a thought, had a think about it, spoke to some other people about it and probably come to the realisation that it probably is time. I, I had a good run. Uh, I'd, I'd been involved in three wooden spoons and involved in three premierships. So, uh, you know, it's it's probably, you know, I've seen the highs and I've seen the lows. And and, uh, and, and then I spoke to my wife about it and I thought, you know, now it's probably time to give back to the family a little bit and uh, spend a – not that you spend more time with them, but uh, you probably – the life doesn't revolve around an AFL footballer and around, the, uh, around their husband, around their father and – you know, I had a young family, so I decided it was time. Uh, it was time that I moved on and then gave another opportunity to another younger kid that was coming through. And uh, that that was the case. And once I announced my retirement, I, I rang Lee and I spoke to him. I said, uh, yep, I think it's time. I think we're, we're, we can do this. And uh, I think it's probably the best way to go about it. Um, and then, uh, you know... Th- through that, Chris and I, Chris Scott and I retired at the same time, and then him and I uh, done that. And then a few days later, uh, Lee had come to me and offered me a role as as a development coach uh, with the football club, which I which I'd done for two years and which I loved and really enjoyed. And that's why I'm back into uh, sort of doing development coaching now with with some young boys. When you look back on that retirement, are you glad that you may have gone one year too soon rather than one year too long? Because that's what we often say about players that we don't want to see the great. Players 
players just go that one year too long? Yeah, probably. Uh, I, I reckon it probably could have been a call a little bit earlier, uh, you know, because my body just couldn't cope. Because at that stage, yeah, Pete, I think, yeah, sort of in that sort of 05, 06, that's when it was started becoming really professional. The game was getting really, really fast and you had to make you had to make sure that you were doing everything possibly right to get yourself, get your body right, to actually get out on the park week in, week out. There was more demands on the body, playing you know a faster game, a more physical game, and I just wasn't able to do that. And I probably should have seen the writing on the wall in, my, in, uh, in 06 where I just couldn't uh, struggle any games together at all. You talked about that coaching that you did afterwards, assistant coaching. You had your own team and you had a good record and won a couple of premierships there. Do you ever aspire to to getting to a big-time coaching job or are you happy where you are? No, I'm, 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 I'm open to it. I'm open to getting back into an AFL system somewhere at, at, at some time. Uh, the timing's got to be right. We spoke about it at the start of the segment in regards to my children. I want to make sure that, I, that I'm that i around for them. I know the demands of AFL football. I know the demands of an assistant coach, the time that you have to take out, the time that you have to put in to actually be able to be a head senior coach. So I'm sitting back at the moment just doing what I'm doing at the moment at a development level and getting my my craft at a level where or my coaching at a level where it needs to be. So when that time does come to step into a, an AFL role uh, within an AFL club, uh, Hopefully, I'm well uh, resourced, and I know what's what's capable of that role and what's capable of that job. So, I'm really looking forward to that challenge. Uh, and again, you know, you just got to wait and see what opportunities uh, uh, come up and be able to do that. But certainly, um, I will uh, venture out and, and put more time into my coaching as my children get older, and when they don't need dad around so much on a on a Sunday and a Saturday, uh, you know, running them around from sports to sports, they playing basketball and doing all these bits and pieces as well. But certainly got a hunger and I enjoy being a part of a match day feel. I enjoy part of being a, a part of a football club, planning for, for training, planning for outcomes that, uh, that you have something to do with. And um, I'm, I'm open to it. Yeah. Just finally, when you have a quiet moment to yourself and you look at those premiership medallions or you look back on photos or, or videos of those grand finals, it must be very satisfying to think that the little kid from Jakarta <laughs> will always be remembered as part of one of the greatest teams this game has ever seen. Well, it's quite it's quite amazing, Pete. Yeah, you, you think back and, uh, you know, it's it's not something that you, as a young kid, think that you're going to go on and do that. You, you always wish and you dream and, and you know, the, the accolades that, that come along with it are, are just fantastic. And, and, and you reflect and, and sometimes I guess it, what – how I feel satisfied about it and feel really proud about it when I reflect with my kids and my wife and, and people that have been around and, and know the sort of upbringing and, and the sort of challenges that we've had through through our lives and sort of sitting back with them and, and reminiscing with them. They're, they're the times that you feel, yeah, I've, I've, I've done okay and uh, it's been it's been great to be a part of and, and you look back and, and you get excited about it and you wish you go back there to, to this day and, uh, you know, just playing, playing uh, footy on the weekend. Uh, you know, the, all the kids were there and uh, they were they were just excited, you know, kicked a couple of goals here or there, and they they were just enjoying. And then now, I, then I think back and think, what I wish I was that old when I was back playing at the MCG on Grand Final day, and they could have seen that then. And uh, yeah, it's quite amazing. And yeah, do reflect back and and do think how lucky I was and how fortunate I was to be part of an amazing group of people and an amazing coaching group as well.
It was a remarkable career. Uh, not only have you been a great ambassador for your time in football, but you've also been a great ambassador for the Indigenous people as well, something you should be very proud of. John, it's been great to catch up with you for the last hour. Thanks for coming in. Good on you, Pete. Chris Johnson joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And we'll have another very special guest at the same time next week right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.